0: Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. We're taking a deeper look at some of the most well-known characters in the Bible who, despite the odds of their situation, kept their faith in God. In this series called Faithful, we invite you to join us as we discover how to be faithful in the everyday challenges of life. I welcome you again to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you watching online. We're continuing our faithful series. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look in verse 24. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay. We're going to put those, we put the verses in your service guide. They'll also be on the screen behind me. We're in this series, Faithful, on this really unique chapter of the Bible, Hebrews 11, that gives us a summary of these great men and women who lived by faith, and the and the, really the purpose of this passage of scripture is to inspire and encourage you of these men and women weren't perfect and they faced challenges, but God met them as they put their hope and trust in him. That's really what faith is. And to be full of faith is to be full of this confidence, this assurance, not just full of head knowledge, not just full of religious duty, but this deep trust that God is alive and God is moving and active and rewarding those people who put their trust and their hope in him. You know, I gotta say before we get to the rest of Hebrews eleven, pastorally, just to our community, would you mind if I just gave you a thought or two? Here's a thought: We, 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 as we move towards Thanksgiving week, we're gonna ask Halloween to just move it along, right? Like our community likes Halloween, and we pass out candy. We got lots of, you know, decorations and things. Because what happens is Halloween goes, and then people get excited for Christmas, and we love Christmas and we're ready for Christmas, but Christmas, just be patient just a little bit more, because we gotta let that turkey come through, because that turkey's got something good for us, right? Like, you can't skip Thanksgiving. It's one of the great days of the whole year. Yes, I'm in the right room, okay? Maybe you're watching online. Let me just, pastorally I wanna coach you, because this is a big day of the year. There's so many things to be full of on Thanksgiving. You could be full of time with your family, full of, of gratitude, full of football, and then of course, you're gonna be full of food. Can I get an amen? Like, I'll just be the first to say, I struggle with self-control on Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite meals the whole year. But let me give you a little pastoral coaching so that we can all get through it together. Here's an example of what your plate should look like on Thanksgiving. Notice the beautiful symmetry. You eat with your eyes first. A lot of strategy going on here. You're wondering, for my health-conscious friends, is this plant-based? Yes. You plant yourself in the chair and you don't get up till it's gone. It's plant-based. Now let me also highlight one more thing. Incredible form on this plate. Look at the volcano integrity of the potatoes. You must maintain Volcano integrity. If you lose volcano integrity, you end up with gravy anarchy. You got gravy spilling out into everything. God's best for you is so much better than gravy anarchy. It's not meant to go on your jello or your salad. It's, It's gotta stay. So if you get a hole in your potatoes, you gotta patch that up. You gotta keep it right. Now, some people don't understand this and it really just is a, it's difficult for me. I saw a picture, our team found this picture. They showed me this is what someone did to desecrate Thanksgiving. That's a deep violation. My spirit is being violated right now. Just, okay, take it off, take it off. If you do that, we'll put you at the kids' table and that may not even be enough. We may just church discipline, we'll send you outside. You just have to eat outside. There's a right way to do it, right? We're all gonna be full. Right, like you eat that meal, it tastes so good, you try to slow down. I don't know about you, I blow through my first or second stop sign, I end up in a food coma on the floor. (laughs) Because I'm full. I think the Lord's okay with it. He understands these things. But, But when we look at this series and we think about being full of faith, We've had this theme verse, Hebrews 12. Remember, the Bible, Hebrews 12 commenting on Hebrews 11. When the Bible was first written, there weren't chapters and verses, and so here's the picture as the author of Hebrews is summarizing Hebrews 11. Here's why it's in the Bible. Here's what it means for you and I. Let's look at this verse together. Hebrews 12 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Here's what it means. All the men and women who went before, who weren't perfect, who made mistakes, but who put their trust in God, they're now watching you and I. They're watching us. They're cheering us on, they're inspiring us to run our race, not their race, but the race God has for us. Look what it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. This has been a big year for me and multiple times this year I've thought about this passage. Uh, uh, There were two big celebration services this year. My, My father went home to be with Jesus, Mr. Little went home to be with Jesus and at both of those moments this verse came to my mind because I realized what an incredibly holy thing when a man or woman of God who believes God, who puts their trust in God, when they finish their race well, it's a holy thing. And in those moments, I was inspired. I, I, I prayed, I said, God, I wanna run my race well. And so the author here of Hebrews is saying, all of us have a race to run, and you can finish, you can endure, but if you're going to do that, you have to be aware of the things that trip us up, the things that are challenges. And each week we've looked at this, look at that little word sin, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. You know, I I believe this is sin in general, he's speaking generally, but I think also he's giving us an insight. What is that sin he's talking about? If we go a little bit further into Hebrews 12, I think he gives us an insight. Look what it says. We do this, we run, we endure. How do we do it? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The Bible doesn't give us Hebrews 11 to compare ourselves to these great men and women. The Bible gives us Hebrews 11 as a sign, as an inspiration, as a hope to put our eyes not just on Joseph and Noah and Abraham and Moses, but to put our eyes on Jesus because he's the one who initiates and perfects our faith. So this week there's a man in this Hebrews 11 and his story is really about Turning your eyes and keeping your eyes focused on God and it's a man you know and it's a man you've heard of. I think almost the entirety of our culture would have heard of this man. It's a man named Moses. Now when we think about Moses, we, we, we've talked about Joseph and we talked about Noah. These are big characters. Moses, certainly a very big character. Now when we think of Moses, most of us think of something that looks a little bit like this, right? It looks like Charlton Heston, because it is Charlton Heston. And in each of these pictures, whether it's a kid's story or whether it's a painting or whether it's from the movie, in all these things, the same one commonality is, in every one of these things, Moses is old. He's old. He's bearded up. He's got that gray splendor hair. It's powerful. You know, we we celebrate that. But, but... Moses wasn't born this way, and and there's a moment that gets him to this moment. It's really interesting, Hebrews 11, out of all the things it could have highlighted about Moses, it highlights not the moment when he's old, but the moments that lead up to this moment. Hebrews 11, verse 24. Hebrews 11, verse 24, by way of context, we talked last week about Joseph. This is about 300 years after the death of Joseph. See, the people of Israel went and settled, relocated in Egypt because of famine, and they settled there, and they began to to put down roots, and they made families, and they they built lives, and they served the people of, of Egypt, but then God blessed them according to his covenant promise to Abraham. And because of Joseph's influence, because of his leadership, there was this great collaboration between Egypt and Israel during his lifetime, but then after he died, and then after the Pharaoh who trusted Joseph died, a new Pharaoh came along. And he looked around and he said, these Hebrews have multiplied, they're they're too strong, they're gonna outnumber us, they're gonna overtake us. And so he said, we've gotta stop them. So he, he sends out an edict, he sends out a royal ruling that every Israelite boy should be killed. So in this moment, Moses' mom and dad bring Moses into the world. And as you can imagine, they're, they're, they're stressed, they're afraid, they're anxious, and they feel like God says, put the boy in a basket and set him down the river. What an incredible step of faith that Hebrews 11 actually highlights the faith of Moses' mom and dad. Put him in the river, and as you know the story, Pharaoh's daughter of all people draws him out of the river, takes him into the palace, and raises him as her son. This is the story, this is the context into which we find Moses' life. Hebrews 11:24. 24, by faith Moses when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. First thing we learn about Moses' faith is he chose to be mistreated. There were options. He had options, you know, we don't know a lot. We'll talk in a moment about the biblical narrative around Moses. We don't know a lot about what happened in his early days. The great historian Josephus tells us though that it was well-known and well-believed throughout Egypt. The stories of Moses' bravery and courage. He was a general in the army of Egypt and he had incredible uh, stories of exploits and accomplishments and achievements. He was looked up to as a hero. You know, another, philosopher, or another uh, historian, Philo, said that because of his relationship to Pharaoh's daughter, and his character and his proven courage and bravery, he was very much a candidate to become the next king. He was being considered as an heir to the throne. So when the Bible says he chose to identify with the people of God, he wasn't just making a small choice, he was making a radical choice to go a different route and identify a different way. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now the author's doing something here, very intentional. First time in Hebrews 11, we see Christ mentioned and notice there as a foreshadow to what he's gonna tell us. We just read it in Hebrews 12. We keep our eyes on Jesus. Here's what the author is saying. Moses ran his race because he looked ahead and he looked to God for his reward. Look what it finishes by saying. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. What a funny little phrase. How do you see something that's invisible? That doesn't make sense, it's not possible. The only way to see something that's invisible is to see it by faith. This is what Moses did when he looked to God. Now, at this point, throughout the series, We said, if you'd like to know more about this character, you know, we said, for Noah, look to Genesis 6 through 9. For Joseph, we look a little bigger, look to Genesis 37 through 50. Now, if you know about the Bible, if we're gonna look at Moses, we start in Exodus 2, we go all the way through Exodus, we go all the way through Leviticus, we go all the way through Numbers, we go all the way through Deuteronomy. I don't know if you got that kind of time. We're at about 136 chapters at this point. We also get a little something about him in Acts 7 here in Hebrews 11. So I thought, for the sake of time, I'd just summarize what God did in his life so that we could understand, what would Moses say to you and I if he got out of the stands and he walked with us, what would his life say to you and me? So let's look at a big picture of his life, the first part of his life. Part one, there he is in Egypt for the first 40 years. He's raised there. Some of what I was talking about, he was a general. He was a potential heir to the throne. He was there in with the king, in the palace. Imagine what that life must have been like, wrestling with it, wondering about who he was, probably wrestling with what happened to his mom and dad and where did they go and how did things work out? And then when he's 40, he has this incredible incident. He's out walking and he sees an Egyptian talking to a Hebrew and he begins to abuse the Hebrew and injure the Hebrew and something inside of Moses rises up and he just can't do nothing. That's a terrible double negative, but, but that's what happened. He said, I gotta do something, so something in how God made him. He, he just moved, he acted really before he even thought, and he murders this Egyptian man who's abusing this Hebrew because of his affection and his care, he, f- he cared for his people, he buries him in the sand. The next day he's out walking again and he sees now two Hebrews fighting. And he's like, I didn't do that so that we would fight each other. So he goes to them and he's like, stop fighting, and they're like, who are you to tell us what to do? Are you our judge? Are you gonna kill us? like you killed the Egyptian, which causes Moses to have two very painful thoughts. Number one, he realized people didn't listen to him. And number two, he realized if they knew, eventually Pharaoh would know, and when Pharaoh found out what he did, Pharaoh would try to kill him, which is exactly what Pharaoh does. And so at the end of this first 40 years of Moses' life, he he flees, he leaves to a neighboring country called Midian. Now, he goes to Midian and he sits down by a well, and there at the well, he begins to think about his life. He probably thought to himself, I don't know how I got here. This was not part of the plan. What happened to what God was doing? God, where are you? Did you forget about me? And as he's sitting there at the well, he notices some shepherds come up to the well, and there are a couple women. They have their sheep, which was unusual. There weren't a lot of female shepherds, but there they were. And another group of shepherds comes along and begins to abuse and and push off these women, to push off their sheep. And again, because it's who God made him, on the inside of him, he said, this is not right, somebody needs to do something, I'm going to do something. So he drives off these shepherds, the women are allowed to get their water, to water their sheep, the women go back to their house and go, dad, you'll never believe what happened at the well, this guy came out of nowhere and he saved us. And the dad says, you know their dad Jethro, he was a priest, he said what any good dad would say, talking to two unmarried daughters, where is he, where is this guy? You just left him at the well. Go get him. Let's get him something to eat. You guys aren't getting any younger, right? So I'm trying to hook you up. And Jethro does. Jethro hooks up one of his daughters. Moses marries into the family. Moses becomes, he, he has children. He becomes a shepherd. He becomes a close confidant and friend. Uh, uh, of Jethro, he spends 40 years there in Midian, and he probably thought, man, God, you heard my cry, you brought me into this family, you took me where I had no family, and you placed me in a family, and they had a great relationship, he and Jethro, and then one day, this is another 40 years, comes to a close, one day he's out walking with the sheep, and you probably know this part, runs into a burning bush, God begins to speak to him, tells him to go back to Egypt. Now, I would like to point out to you, at this point in his life, he's 80 years old, he probably thinks he's winding down, When God says, go to Egypt, he's like, I don't wanna go back, it's painful there. I don't wanna go, God, they won't listen to me. They didn't listen to me before. They won't listen to me now. God says, go, so finally, you know the story, he goes. Ten plagues come. Finally, Pharaoh relents, lets the people go. Then he changes his mind, chases them with the army. Red Sea opens up. He brings millions of people across, which should have been an 11-day trip, ends up being 40 years He spends 40 years out in the desert. God speaks to him. At one point, God walks by him and lets him see the reflection of his face. He has this incredible life. He he brings the people to the edge of the promised land. He's not allowed to go in because of his frustration and his challenges with the people. He puts his hand on his successor, Uh, Joshua, prays for him, and and, and that's the end of his life at, at age 120 now, here's why I belabor this point. Think about this. You probably have never thought about this before. These first two parts of his years, the first two 80 years of his life, the Bible only dedicates parts of three chapters to those first 80 years. And then the rest, the last 40 years, look at what, it, 136 chapters from the time he's 80 to the time he's 120. Here's why I belabor this point. You're not Moses. But if we were to look at your life, when your race is done, we would put your life into boxes. And I would just warn you, be careful, because the way God works in the lives of Moses is many times similar to the way he works in your life and my life. You may have 80 years where you're like, God, where are you? What are you doing? You've forgotten about me. And what you think is God forgetting about you is God working and moving and setting you up for your moment, which brings us to the other part. We live in a culture that worships youth. And I love youth. But make no mistake, for whatever reason, God goes, it's gonna take some time. Moses gotta cook in that character oven for a while, and when he's 80, now he's ready to go do something. If you find yourself 80, or approaching 80, or anywhere in 80's proximity, don't think somehow it's time to coast and you're done. God may be setting you up for the most impactful, important years of your life. When I think of these two men who who went home to be with Jesus, both of them, both my dad and Mr. Little, their greatest, most influential years were at the end, not at the beginning. I think that's what it's like when we live the life of faith. What becomes so challenging is we look at our life and we think, God, why is it taking so long? Where are you, what's happening? We think he's absent when many times he's working and doing exactly what he intended to do. This This is hard for us. We don't like the waiting. You know, Hebrews 12 uses this metaphor of running. And I gotta tell you, I'm not crazy about running for the sake of running. I do it from time to time, I'm trying to so that I can eat big meals. Um, I'm really more like a dog, I chase the ball, so I like to play basketball and soccer and football and those kinds of things, but occasionally I run for the sake of running. And a couple years ago, a friend of mine said, hey, I bet you can't run a half marathon. And I said, I'll show you, which kind of gives you a window into how I am work. But, um, I did it and I ran a great time and I was excited about it, but you gotta do all this training. And here's what I found out about running. Running is really fun at the beginning. Like you get excited, like, let's go run, I'm gonna be fast, let's go try this. And you get out and you're like, man, I'm fast, I'm doing good, how far have we gone? Not very far, I don't wanna do this anymore, right? And it's also fun at the end, on race day, man, you come to the end, you see people cheering for you, you see the finish line, man, you pick up, you get your last wind, you're cruising across the tape, you think you just won an Olympic medal. Here's the problem. The beginning and the end are a really small part. The middle is really hard, and most of life happens in the middle. Most of life, there's nobody cheering. You're looking around. You're, you're wondering, what God, where are you? And that's what we have to remember. What Moses say, says to us? What does Moses say to us? Moses says, he says this. Moses had faith because he chose to keep his eyes on God. In the middle, it's the hardest part. It's the hardest part to keep your eyes on God. It's kind of like you ever taking kids, small kids, on a road trip. The night before, they're all excited, they barely get to sleep, they're all packing, they're all getting excited, they jump in the car. They're like, this is so fun, dad, let's go. And you're like 15 minutes down the road, they're like, are we almost there yet? And you're like, no, it's gonna be a really long time. They're like, okay, uh, they're trying to have a good attitude. My son, he goes, dad, I'm car sick. And I go, oh no, Like, are you, how's your stomach feeling? Are you doing okay? He goes, he goes, yeah, dad, I'm fine, I'm just sick of the car. We're like that, right? We like the beginning, we like getting there. You know, many of you are probably gonna do some air travel. It's amazing how we, you know, you just get used to stuff that used to be a big deal. And it's easy to start to complain. This is what happened to the people with Moses, right? Like, you could be there, I can't believe, my flight's delayed, what's wrong, I can't believe. Like, there are a lot of options. Have grace for each other, you head to the airport, right? Like, having a plane that's delayed a little bit, it's better than getting in that car with the small kids, right? Like, it's. Be grateful, have a good attitude. But here's the thing, you have to keep your perspective right, you have to keep your eyes right, because all of us have eyes that wander and get distracted. And the problem is, when your eyes wander and you get distracted, you lose your faith. So how do we have faith like Moses? You know, let, let me qualify it, we qualify it every week. The goal is not necessarily to have faith like Moses. Moses' life is different than your life, it's different than my life. But the reason why this story is in the Bible, the reason why Hebrews 11 points this out to us is there are insights into what Moses overcame so that he could walk with God in a way that changed his life forever, and that's what you can receive. Remember, Moses, I told you, he didn't get to go into the Promised Land. Moses made a lot of mistakes. The comforting thing is, even though Moses made mistakes, God didn't give up on him. There's some crazy people in Hebrews 11. Like we understand Joseph and Abraham and Noah and Moses, those guys are kinda like the main group. There's a lot of people in there if you read the Bible. Samson's in there, Jephthah's in there, that's a trip. you know. And next week, I'm gonna preach on another one that you're like, what in the world are they doing there? We'll talk about it next week. But when we come back to Moses, here's what I want you to think about. If Moses were here today, if Moses were in the room, this is what Moses would say. Yes, God did incredible things. Yes, God moved through my life. The Bible says at the end of his life in Deuteronomy, it says there's never been anyone like Moses. But if Moses was here, Moses would look at you and say, man, I wish I had what you have. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, because Jesus paid the price, because Jesus paid a debt you couldn't pay. We had a substitute that waited for the moment when Jesus came, but when Jesus came, he paid the price. I didn't, there's no more need for a tabernacle. There's no more need for sacrifices. There's no more need for the blood of rams because Jesus paid the sacrifice. One priest, one time a year, gets to go into the Holy of Holies during my life. Now you, the Bible says in John 14, that the Spirit of God will come and make us home in you. What an incredible advantage. Moses went up on the mountain and got the Ten Commandments put him in a box, carried him around everywhere he went. Moses would go, I got 10 commandments from God. You have his word that's living and active. You have his word in digital form. You have it in audio form. You have it in student form. You have it in left-handed outdoor sportsman adventure form. You have it in every form you could possibly imagine. Anytime you want, you have his word available to speak to you and to build your faith. Moses would say, you have what I didn't have. But if you look at my life and what I did, here's what I learned about God that you could learn too. Number one, you don't look back into the options of your past. There was a lot in Moses' past. There was pain. There were pain of challenges and difficulties of things not working out the way he hoped they would work out. There were many opportunities there were chances, there were fleeing pleasures of sin, and they're in your past, they're in Moses' past, they're in my past. And not that we are unaware of our past, but we don't look back into our past trying to re-dig up options that we walked away from. This has become more common in our world today than it's ever been. We look back at our past. Did you know there's an entire field of academic study that looks at if history had gone this way instead of that, here's all the different ways that our world would be different. They actually call it, some of the smartest people in the world do this, it's called counterfactuals. I find it really interesting, it's fascinating. But ultimately, really, it's just an exercise in futility. Because going back and rehashing and looking, you know, and if you live a little while, you go you go like, man, my life is here. What if I had done this there? What if I had made this decision at that moment? What if I hadn't done this? What if I had taken that job opportunity? How would my life be different? And when you do that, what ends up happening is you begin to reevaluate. Do I like where I'm at? Is this really the right place? Do I really wanna be here? Do I need to begin to change things? And what happens is you begin to lose the very faith you need in that moment. Because the faith doesn't come from the choices you made in the past, the faith comes from the power of God in the present. You have to trust him, you have to believe God. Moses had options, but it wasn't until he said no to those options and moved away and said, God, wherever it takes me, I'm with you, that he began to grow in his faith. The same is true in your life, the same is true in my life. Well, we have to ask ourselves, this is the key, Moses looked to God for his reward. I think so many times, Each of us, we have this temptation, we have this challenge where we end up looking in the wrong place. We may have good intentions, but we look to the wrong thing for our reward. We look to that job promotion. We look to that success of our our kids. We look to maybe something with our house. We're looking for a reward that's ultimately unfruitful. And because we look for the wrong reward, we evaluate our life in the wrong way and we don't have the faith. We need to take the steps that God's called us to to take. Here's the second thing Moses would say to us. You look forward in faith while you're waiting in the present. Moses did a lot of waiting. We don't like that, I don't like waiting. Patience is not my strong suit. I'm the guy, you ever done this? You go to a crosswalk, you know that little button at the crosswalk and you press the button? Like the first time you press it, you're like, if I don't press it, the light's not gonna change, so I press it, and then if you're like me, you press it again, and then you press it again. And pretty soon, now I'm looking, is there a wire? Maybe they're just messing with me. I'll press that button the whole time. Because whatever I could do to make a change, I want to make a change. You come to an elevator, you press the button. Press it a bunch of times. Like if I'm pressing the button, when that elevator door opens, I got the character of Christ, I'll hold the door for you, I'll let you in. When that elevator door's closing, button, 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 catch the next one, God's working in your spirit. <laughs> Why do we do that? We don't like waiting, no one likes waiting. Waiting is terrible. But the waiting is where most of life is lived. If you wait for the moments that are these mountaintop experiences to do the preparation that God's trying to work in you, you'll find yourself in the moment without the ability that God wanted to work in you. You have to do the work beforehand. Not the work so that he'll love you, not the work so that he'll receive you into his family, but the work that allows you to become who God wants you to be so that you can do what God's called you to do, the waiting makes all the difference. You have to ask yourself, what am I doing in the waiting? Am I killing time? Or am I becoming the person God created me to be? How do you know what that looks like? I I thought these questions might help us. Here's a few questions to ask yourself while you're waiting. Number one, can you grow closer to God while you're waiting? Do you get upset with him? Do you constantly reevaluate his character and his goodness when you have to wait longer than you want to? That's a tendency I know in my own life. God, why is it taking so long? Where are you? Have you forgotten your servant? And he's like, no, I haven't forgotten you. This is what you need. Can you avoid a critical, grumbling, negative attitude? This is rampant in our culture. Can you stay hopeful for your future while you're waiting? Can you get better while you're waiting? Can you develop character, grow in your responsibility? Can you become a better version of who God created you to be? Here's what I believe is true. No waiting is ever wasted when you're waiting in faith. No waiting is ever wasted. You think I'm killing time, you think it's taking too long, God says this is exactly what you need. Moses needed 80 years of leading, the, 40 years in Midian, he needed 80 years of waiting, 40 years in Midian, carrying those sheep around, because all that time in the desert was preparation for carrying the people of God around the desert. We all need these moments, and here's the thing that's so difficult. We don't understand it. We don't realize, why is it taking so long? Why is God doing that? Why is he making me wait? He's not trying to frustrate you or torment you. He's trying to prepare you for all that he has for you, which leads us to the third thing. You look by faith for things you can't see in the future. You look by faith for things you can't see in the future. There are things in your future you can't see yet. You know they're there. Maybe it's a dream God put in your heart. Maybe it's a dream for your business. Maybe it's a dream for your marriage. Maybe it's a dream for your children. Maybe it's a vision God gave you, and you're like, I know somewhere, somehow, but I don't know how to get there. This is the way that God does it. He drops it in your heart and says, what will you do with what I gave you? And it's hard for us. But the truth is, we do this more than we realize. There are things in our lives that don't make sense that we can't really see. We can't get our mind around them but we do it anyways. M- remember when the very first iPod came out? I remember one of those first iPods, it was like a big white brick, and somebody gave me one. I was like, what do I do with it? I was like, where does the CD go? And they're like, no, old guy. Uh, you p- hook it up to a computer and you put thousands of songs. I was like, how many songs? They're like 10,000. It's like, that's amazing. Then uh, a couple years ago, one of the guys on our team goes, hey, Pastor Jed, did you hear about this new streaming thing? I go, no. I go, what's that? He goes, well, you pay a, a fee, And then you get the songs. I was like, what do you mean the songs? He's like, all of them. I was like, wait, I can have all the songs? Like all the songs. What if I don't want all the songs? What if I just want some of the songs? He's like, you get all the songs. I was like, I don't even know how that works. If you've ever taken a Lyft or an Uber, when we were kids, there was a thing called stranger danger. Don't get in a car. (laughs) Now it's like, okay, someone's gonna show up at your house And they're gonna tell you on the phone, I'm your driver. They may murder you. You don't know where you're going. But everybody goes like, oh, this is cool. And then we pay them to get in a car with a total stranger, okay? There's this other thing. It's a billion dollar business. Okay, you're gonna go stay in somebody's house. And you're just gonna send them a note on the internet. You're gonna pay them some money and you're gonna show up at the house and you're gonna stay at their house and it's gonna be awesome because you saw some pictures. And we all know you can trust pictures on the internet. So just go do it, right? Like, it's going to be your greatest vacation ever. We call it Airbnb, right? Like, there are things in our life that don't make sense, but we do them. Why would we do that, and yet when God comes to us and says, I have something new for you, I have something new for your marriage, but here's what you're going to have to do. You can't see it now. I have something for you in your workplace. You're gonna have to leave. You know that role you're in right now that you really like, you find your identity, you feel strong when you do it? Where I'm taking you, you're gonna have to leave that role, not to move, not to go somewhere else, but in your same company, if you'll serve, if you'll step out, if you'll take a new opportunity in your marriage, it's like this is what we do on date night, this is what we do for vacations. It's like there's something new for you. There's a new place in that relationship. When your kids are small, it's easy to control them and make them do what you want them to do, to go to the place you want to be in your relationship with your children, with your friends, and the things God's doing in your life. You're gonna to have to leave the familiar that you can control to a future you can't see except by faith. But when you're close to God, and you keep your eyes on Him, you go, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'll tell you, in my own life, the path that led me to this platform is not a path I could have seen. It's not a path I could have predicted. It's not a path where there was a clear roadmap. It was, God, I put my trust in you. I'm doing this for you. I'm looking to you for my reward. And every time it would take longer and the road would turn and go in different places. And I'll tell you this, I'm not done. I'm looking ahead to a future. Who knows where it may take me? But by God's grace and his power, it's what he has for me. And anything else that I would choose would never compare. God is no respecter of person. That doesn't mean he's rude. What it means is the same God who promised that to Moses, who promises that to me, he promises it to you if you'll put your hope and your trust in that same Christ. Let's pray. Maybe you're here. You're like, I I don't get all this, Jed. You're talking about Moses and Jesus. I I thought church was this place where you go, you try to be a good person and do some spiritual things. A lot of people think that. But the truth is so much better. The truth comes back to this idea, this simple notion of faith. Jesus lived the life, he lived the perfect life. He did the spiritual things that you couldn't do. He kept his eyes on God when we, turn our eyes in so many other places. When we turned to fleeting sins, he stayed perfect. And when he came to the end of his life, he looked at you and he looked at me, and he said, I did this so that you could have peace with God. Maybe you feel so far from God. Maybe you feel like, God doesn't see me. God doesn't care about me. The fact that you're in this place right now shows he sees you, he knows you by name, He's inviting you into His family. We've been talking all service about how this kind of moment is gonna happen at Joy. It's gonna happen all throughout Christmas. But maybe right now, this is your moment. Maybe you're watching online. This is your moment to come home. All you gotta do is just say, Jesus, I look to You. I put my hope and my trust in You. I trust that You made a way for me to have a relationship with God. I give you my heart. Right there, just make it your prayer. If you've prayed that prayer, you listen to those words, it fills you with confidence that not only if God gave his son, why wouldn't he also give you all things? So in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, in your finances, in your sickness, wherever you're at, just say, God, here I am. I'm waiting, waiting for your promise. But I put my trust, my hope in you when you say that no waiting is ever wasted and he meets you in that moment jesus i'm praying for all of us who are waiting all of us who are looking with faith to our future to things we can't see god i pray that you would do what only you could do that you, not only would you move in our lives not only would you, you perform incredible deeds but you'd cause us to be so close to your presence and you'd fill us with faith in jesus name amen